There are many things of God that are hard to be understood. Now, so much so that God often just tells us something and He says, I'm not going to tell you all the details about it. Um, I'm using this to get the overall picture. Sometimes we miss the overall picture and we dive in and we get messing with the details and forget God's purpose in it. So I want to remind us right from the start of uh, some of the practical aspects of this that God is emphasizing through Peter that in the midst of persecution, be reminded that God uses persecution in a great way for His purposes. Now, we, we kind of want to back up and set the table, if you please, here today. Number one, we need to be reminded that there is a cosmic war between God and Satan. Since Lucifer led a rebellion in his pride, and since he was cast out of heaven, there has been a constant, ongoing war between his forces and the forces of God, and God Himself. That warfare is very real. Uh, he, Satan is conducting a well-designed warfare against God. And uh, one of his first uh, uh, forays into the war, we read about in Genesis in the Garden of Eden, where um, he came and... Uh, deceived Adam and Eve and led them in rebellion against God's plan and purpose. Now, since that time and even before that time, secondly, Satan has done all that he can to thwart God's plan. Turn, turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. And, and this, is, this is such a key verse. Um, I believe this is one of the key verses of the Bible. I didn't used to say that, but the more I study and the more I learn, the more I see that Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 is, is a, a landmark verse. It is a watershed verse that... That from this, from this verse on, things depart one way or the other. And you come down on one side or the other. And in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve have sinned, God comes and He brings the curse. And He spells it out to the serpent or to Satan. He spells it out to the woman, to the man, to the, to the earth, the, the, the judgments of it. But we want to look specifically at the judgment that is brought on, on the serpent, on Satan. And verse 14, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly thou shalt go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Now, let me just stop there and give a personal I, I claim this passage as a basis for my hatred for snakes. It, not, that, not that I necessarily run from them, but I just don't, 
they're slimy, they're slithery, they're sneaky, they're... I just don't like them. And so if you have to have a Bible verse for it, I say right there it is, all right? And, um, and now when I'm out west, I have a healthy fear of the snakes when you get into the rattlesnakes and that. And I guess we have some of them here in, in the Midwest. I've got to tell you this, you know, we were down last summer camping down around the Ozarks and we're sitting around the campfire and there's a tree that that kind of hung over the campfire and we had this fire uh, going pretty good and all, it's getting dark and all of a sudden something drops down out of this tree and I go what in the world was that and and we get a flashlight and look and here's this black solid black snake laying there sliming around and camping you have to have an axe by the campfire all right I picked that thing up, and I thought it was the devil itself. Man, I just start wailing away on it. And uh, number one, I don't like snakes. Number two, I don't like them dropping in on my campfire unannounced in the dark, all right? And, and I thought, man, I've never seen a snake like that. And the next morning, uh, you know, at, at campgrounds, you got the old, the old Joes that sit around the office and we go in there and we say, um, man, weirdest thing happened last night and told them the story. And they said, what'd you do with it? I said, I chopped that thing in pieces. Oh, why'd you do that? They say, you know, and they acted like I killed their cousin or something, you know. And they said, those were good snakes, you know, they eat mosquitoes and things. And, and I didn't tell them this, but I wanted to say, well, good snake or not. Number one, I don't know many good snakes, but they, they do have a purpose. But dropping in like that, that was not the why. I said, do they do that often? And um, they said, well, he probably was up in the tree and your fire was hot enough that you had to, he had to let go and get out of there, you know. I made sure I had a hot fire every night. We were there, all right? But how did I get on that? I don't know. That's my basis, all right, good, bad, or otherwise. Now, that you can throw out in the trash bin, all this stuff that I said. But the rest, here we go. And God said in verse 15, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. From that time on, God said that there is going to be war and conflict between the seed of the woman, which is a reference to Jesus Christ, and between Satan. And because of this, Satan was given a key on uh, where, where his enemy and where his destroyer would be coming from. And it was coming through um, the line of Judah. It was coming through the seed of the woman. And since that time, Satan has done all that he can to destroy the promised Redeemer through many, many ways. He has uh, sought to bring genocide to the Jews and uh, has, has sought to destroy the race of people that the Messiah would come through. 
He has, um, in the days of Noah, and the reference that we have here, um, in the days of Noah, you notice what it says, um, verse 20, back in 1 Peter chapter 3, with these spirits, which were sometime disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by, by water. Let me, let me just mention here. We're going, I'm going to describe um, what I believe as of today uh, this is referenced to uh, and to see how it fits in with all Scripture. If you'd like to do more reading on it, I'd be happy to direct you in certain areas and so on. And, and yet at the same time, I don't want us to lose sight that this, is, this, is, um, this isn't the main point of what Peter's bringing out, what God's bringing out through Peter in this passage. The main point is not that Jesus went and preached to the spirits in prison. The, and, and we'll touch on this briefly here in, in just a moment. But the main point is, is not that although um, it, it has much to do. But we go back to this. Satan has sought to destroy this promised Redeemer in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 in many ways. And, and many people believe in the days of Noah, and you can go back and read it. We don't have the time to, go, to, to deal with all of that um, this morning. In Genesis chapter 6, when it says that the, the sons of God married the daughters of men, that this again was a ploy in reference to spirit beings that uh, took upon the nature of a man and were united with the, the women at that time and uh, identified in this regard as a ploy of Satan to seek to destroy the human race. Like I said, we can't go into this in detail. If you'd like to talk about it more, I'd be happy to. But this is another reason why God destroyed the human race apart from Noah and his family with the flood because of this ploy of Satan to corrupt the human race through the, the spirit world and the intermingling, the violation of God's design. And because of this, um, these uh, demonic spirits were, were, with the judgment that God brought with the flood, were judged and, as he said, um, were imprisoned. The demon spirits were imprisoned. This was a plan to destroy the seed of the woman. That, as I said, that is why God had to bring, and not had to, He is sovereign, He knew, He planned before the creation of the world. But He brought the flood to bring the judgment. Turn to the book of Jude. Jude, chap, Jude chapter 1. There's only one chapter in Jude. Jude, and notice verse 6. Notice what it says. And the angels, which kept not their first estate, but left their habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. 
even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of the eternal fire. Okay? The angels which kept not their first estate. They were made as, as ministers to God. One-third of the angels followed Lucifer. They rebelled against God. They kept not their first estate in their rebellion. Um, they were ministers to carry out Satan's ploys. Regardless of the details, in the days of Noah, they carried out Satan's ploys to a certain degree. And, and God judged them, and He cast them into prison. Now, boys right here, would you do something for me? Um, would you represent for us this morning uh, the um, demon spirits that are bound in prison? All right? Okay? You're, this is going to represent the prison that you're bound in, Okay? Now, they are representing Satan's little emissaries. Some of you may think they are at times, but we as parents know they are not, all right? But for sake of illustration, they are going... God has bound them in, in this prison, all right? Now, they are for who? Satan, all right? They want Satan to win. They are for Satan. Now, they have seen after they are bound in prison, they see Satan come, and in Second Chronicles, as I said, we don't have the time, but you can read that he tried to destroy the messianic line. You read in Matthew chapter 2, we've just come through the Christmas season, that he tried to wipe out the, the Redeemer, the seed of the woman, by killing all the infants that lived. All right? So again, and they're seeing that and, and they're saying, Go, yeah, get them! And, and they're, they're for Satan. They're, they're cheering him on. They see Satan come and tempt Jesus Christ to abandon his mission as he is tempted and, and seeking to abandon his mission and bow down to Lucifer. And they're, they're encouraging that. And they see that that plan did not work. They are instrumental and they, they observe the, the people being incited to crucify Jesus Christ. And he is crucified. And, and they observe that and they see that Satan, not only when he is crucified, then they set a guard on his tomb and, and they said, nobody's going to come and steal that body. Now, imagine what these angels that left their first estate, imagine what they're thinking when they see Jesus Christ crucified. What do you think you guys would be doing? Rejoicing. All right. Stand up. High five each other. All right. Chest bump each other. Do something. Look at they. They are rejoicing, aren't they? They're having a party. They're rejoicing. Jesus Christ. Satan has tried for thousands of years to stop Genesis 3.15 from being fulfilled. 
And now they've done it. And then, all of a sudden, what shows up on the scene... Kalen, come here. He's representing Jesus Christ. What shows up on the scene is he shows up right here and he preaches unto them. He is not preaching the gospel. The Greek word that is used here is not the Greek word that is used to bring good tidings. It is preaching and proclaiming the truth. I just love this because I love come from behind stories. And they are celebrating and they are whooping it up. And all of a sudden, Jesus Christ, who was dead, is right there. And Jesus Christ, it, it mentions in verse 19, He preached unto the spirits bound in prison. I mean, their party was over. Down they go. There, Jesus Christ came and proclaimed truth and identified that Satan and all his forces can bring all his very best and seek to crucify and kill him. But he came and he appeared unto them. Thank you, Kaylin. You may sit down. But I want you to turn to Colossians 2.15. And um, Paul, writing to the church at Colossae, um, spelled it out in another manner. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15. It talks about in the previous verses that um, he blotted out the handwriting of ordinances against us by his death and his blood. And notice verse 15. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, openly, triumphing over them in it, having spoiled principalities. In other words, having, having um, ruined their plans and destroyed their plans, He came, and, and this may go against the grain of, of some of you, but this is literally what it said. He made a show of them openly. He openly revealed to them that I am the Christ, I am not dead. I will be rising again the third day, and you cannot stop me. And it says, openly made a show of them, triumphing over them. Do you understand? Jesus Christ came, and He put them to shame in this cosmic warfare, and He came and declared His victory to the demons, number three. They were disobedient to the plan and purpose of God. As Satan has always promised to man, if they would be involved in his spirit world, that he would free them from the restrictions God brings, that he would free them from the judgment, and they would gain immortality. It's what he told Adam and Eve, that you will be like as God. Well, Christ shows up to proclaim his triumph over sin, over Satan, over death, and over hell. And he proclaims it to, to some of the very worst uh, forces of evil that there are, those who disobeyed God 
in the worst manner in the days of Noah by seeking to prevent the seed of the woman from coming. God disarmed them, and the rulers and the authorities of evil, He made a public display of them, triumphing over them. He came and, and He identified that, no, you are not victorious, I am victorious. And He put a stop to it. Um, when I when I was in Bible college, uh, our football team it, it was pretty good for Maranatha's football team, um, and we were ahead in this game, and and the other team scored with 11 seconds left, and there and it was like all the air was just taken out. We were behind. 11 seconds left. The other team was just celebrating, celebrating. Yeah, you know. Well, they kicked off to us. And our and our guy got the ball and he starts running with it. And then he flips it to one of the best guys on our team. And he, he ran 85 yards, I think it was, and scored a touchdown. And... And it was just surreal to me. This other team was celebrating, celebrating. And we were... And then it was like the, the switch was flipped. And it was like, boom! Then we're celebrating, celebrating! And I looked over at them and they're just, ah. Oh. And, and, and it, that is minuscule compared to what we have here. Jesus Christ, Satan, his forces believed... We have ended this Genesis 3.15. We don't have to worry about that. And then, lo and behold, he crashes the party. And then he rises from the dead. And what Peter is telling to these believers, you may be going through great suffering. You may be enduring many, many things but he said, remember this, and these are the lessons I want us to remember that I believe, Peter, that God has designed for us in, in this. Number one, there is a war. Listen, it's not a Sunday school picnic that God has called us to. There is a war. Number two, believers will suffer. And Peter said, make sure you're suffering for doing what is right. But he wrote all this to encourage them. He says, there is a war. And suffering should not surprise you. There will be suffering. But he said, number three, there can be great victory in suffering. Do you understand, were it not for the lessons learned in suffering... Many of the songs that Christianity sings today would not be there because many of them were born out of difficulties, were born out of suffering. You, th you think back in your own life, some of the most important lessons that you've learned spiritually have been through those dark days. Some of the times when you saw Christ the greatest, when you saw the hand of God work the most, it's been in those times when, when you were almost without hope. 
It's been in those times of, of darkness. It's been in those times of suffering. God uses suffering. And there can be great victory in suffering as we obey God through it, as we depend on His grace and His mercy in our lives. But in understanding that, he's writing to these believers and he says, realize there is war and realize there is suffering. And they realized that. They were in the midst of it. And he said, there can be great victory in suffering as we respond according to God. And then he reminds them again by telling them this, is that number four, nothing can stop God's plan. I don't just mean God's plan in regard to Jesus Christ. I mean God's plan for your life. When, when God has ministered and where God leads, God provides and nothing can stop God's plan. And that's what he's telling he, he painted the picture and, and he said they thought they had him. And then Jesus Christ came and declared the truth unto these rascals and let them know what is, what is truth. And he said that ought to encourage you to realize that nothing can stop God's plan. No matter how bad it looks, no matter how dark it gets, be encouraged that nothing can derail God's plan. And that, that ought to provide great encouragement. And that's what Peter was seeking to do here. He was seeking to instruct these believers in this regard. And then, because nothing can stop God's plan, there is victory in Jesus. I don't know about you, but um, I love enjoying victories. And, um, of course, the, the older I get, um, my competitive edge disappears because I just know that I'm not able to win near as much. But I enjoy victories. I, I, don't like, I don't like death. You know what? God, death, there's nothing good about death except to a believer it means promotion to heaven. But God is all about life. And, and I don't like defeat. And in Jesus Christ, you have life and you have victory. That's what, I mean, victories are a wonderful thing. This, this, I mean, this is a, not a major victory, but it was to me. We had a cow that we wanted to sell. Part of the reason, because it was just an ordinary cow. It was all right until you brought a truck or a trailer down, and then it just, it just, it belonged in this prison, you know. So Friday, we're going to load this cow up. And we get all the gates, and we, a good neighbor comes over to help us with this, and he backs his trailer down there, and we got these gates, and this cow comes out, and it's just going around, and it sees a little, a little gap. The gate was wired up here, but down here it was open, and it stuck its head in there and just plowed through. And so we're back to square one. I don't want to tell you the. It take too long to tell the whole story. All right. 
But when that stinking cow was in that trailer and the gate was shut and the trailer was, it was like, yes! <laughs> it was. And nobody was crying any tears to see that cow leave. Do you understand? There's going to be the yes when you're with Jesus Christ. There's going to be times, honest, there were times in that ordeal with that cow, I thought it was, it was jumping the fence and it got hung up and I thought, man, we're going to be chasing it in the neighbor's fence and, and, and then it came back. There, there are times you're going to see that there's no hope in your life. But that's when you just need to keep looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. And the day's going to come that you will see victory in Jesus. And, and you'll just be able to say, yes! Not because of us, but because of Him. And, and that's what He's reminding these believers. They thought they had Him. And, and no, He went and He showed them in your face. I, I like when we played football at Thanksgiving... Eugene caught a touchdown, and he looked at Andrew and says, What do you think of me now? I just thought of that. Jesus Christ, He has every right to say, What do you think of me now? He is the champion. He is the victor. He is identified as victory. And we ought to be encouraged. That's what this whole passage is about. Nothing can stop. God's plan. And there is victory. The key is, are you with Jesus Christ? Are you in Jesus Christ? Are you walking with Jesus Christ? Are you prepared for warfare? Are you prepared to suffer in the midst of suffering? Are you willing to stay faithful and that by God's grace, you'll see the victory. See, encourage your heart. Nothing can stop God's plan. And rejoice in the victory in Christ. Heavenly Father, I thank You for truth. Lord, I thank You for these truths today. And I pray that uh, our hearts as believers would be encouraged. Lord, I don't know uh, fully the suffering that some may be enduring. Lord, we have no idea what lies ahead of us. But I pray that You would help us to be encouraged that nothing can stop Your plan. And that regardless of the suffering, that we can walk in victory in You. And Lord, I pray for any here today that are not believers, that have not trusted You for the forgiveness of sin. Lord, I pray today that they would know the joy of being identified with You by faith in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that You would help us to be encouraged by the victory of You. For we pray in Jesus' name with thanksgiving. 
Amen. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to ask if Kathy would play 587.